Hello and welcome to the 133rd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. I'm here today joined by Tom Brewster. Hello. And I remain Ava Foxfort and we are on our own and the dads aren't here. <laughs> the dads aren't here. <laughs> I should put like a fanfare in at this point to <laughs> signify the start of the dads aren't here cast. It's actually a bit weird whenever I call Matt and Quinn's dad and not just in the way you think it's weird, but also because <laughs> I'm a little bit older than them. <laughs> we are going to talk at you today about some old and crusty Euro games, but they're not actually that old and that crusty we think that they've got some sharp and pointy bits inside of them that mean that they should be due a reprint a reissue a rebirth a re-resurrection or similar or you can actually play all of these games online on either board game arena or yucatar.de is it a .de address yeah I, I like to call it yucatade which i don't think is Yucatade. what it's called <laughs> That's good. All these games we think are really interesting, and we're going to have a little chat about St. Petersburg, Palaces of Carrara, and El Grande. So if you like the sound of all of those games, then you can hear us talk about them after this sting. So the first of these games we're going to talk about is a little game called St. Petersburg. This is available on Board Game Arena, and is made by a man called Bernd Brunhofer. And let me tell you, St. Petersburg is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's this strange mix of being a game that's very straightforward with these very quick, simple, easy and juicy decisions, but also just being like so stripped down to me that I think it's quite strange as a pitch for like where or when you would play this game. But we'll get into that later. Let me tell you what St. Petersburg is about. Basically, it is a game about playing cards and getting points. Each round of the game, you will be going through four separate decks of cards. and You'll have a spread of eight cards, I think it is, dealt out from each of those decks each round. Or not always eight, but it starts off as eight and it'll change throughout the game. And that first deck is workers. And you can buy workers and you can put them into your little tableau to give you croins which let you buy other things all of this costs rubles and croins and monies and then the next pile is buildings and the buildings you can put into your town and they largely will give you points and the next thing you can get the next deck once everyone's sort of passed on the workers passed on the buildings you get aristocrats who are fancy members of society that will get slot into your tableau as well and they will generate sometimes a mixture of points uh, and money and the very last thing that you will get in each given round is you get an option to buy some upgrades which can be put on top of any of those existing cards uh, so long as they're the same type and they will give you boosted abilities and they'll only cost you the difference between the two to buy that's basically st petersburg it's a game about spinning up an engine that's going to get you money and then you use the money to get you some self some points and then at the end of the game who's got the most points they win it's very strange though <laughs> it is very strange like all of this has a very particular rhythm to it because um, at the end of each of these micro phases within the round, so like at the end of the workers, all of your workers will suddenly end up, the money starts spilling out of them. And then at the end of the building phase, the points start spilling out of all of those. And then at the end of the aristocrats, this mix of stuff you get. So there's this rhythm to when your income happens. It's not like at the beginning of the turn, you get all of your money and then you decide how to distribute it through these phases. You've got to constantly be thinking about the next three or four phases even if mm. that's not 
just that's not just the current round like it overlaps into the next one so it's got this weird like kind of lilting rhythm to it as you realize that you've just spent so much money on buildings that you're not going to be able to buy anything for a while and oh no how do I get myself out of this it's full of tricky little decisions that are all centered around one big decision which I think is like I think because we'll see this in the next game that we're talking about as well like one of the big classic decisions in this kind of like slightly fusty european style economic game is first half of the game you're supposed to earn money the second half of the game you're supposed to earn points and one of the biggest decisions that you're facing all of the time in this is is now the time when i should shift from one to the other have i got enough stuff built up here and it's not just that it is it would be boring if it was just that but it's also how are you setting up the circumstances for that are you paying enough attention to what other people are doing for example like the second game we played tom in the first turn you accidentally built an incredibly expensive building that was going to be getting <laughs> you five points a turn from then on and i was like ah that's a rookie mistake and then i was like wait no but if you're getting five points every turn then if I don't start getting points a lot sooner, I'm never going to be able to catch up with the lead that you'll be able to amount. Well, I'm building this beautiful, mm. efficient engine of workers and money coming out of all orifices. That's a bit vivid. <laughs> and yeah, if you're getting all of those points and I'm just getting money, I'm screwed. In that game that we're playing, it currently feels like I'm getting completely demolished. Like it feels like I'm getting turned into paste because I'm looking at how much income you're getting each turn and going, Oh, that's ridiculous. But then I look at points and realize that that brick that I threw into my engine at the start is a brick made of gold <laughs> that's bouncing around and causing me to get a little bit of points every single turn that, yeah, it's it's slowly dragging me into like an early lead. But it means that I'm fighting tooth and nail to get a single card each turn because of the way that you get money at the end of the round. Because I, I spent... Uh, one thing that happened in this game, right, that we're playing now is I entered the round that you buy the workers in with no money at all. And then the end of that round triggers and I get a ton of money. So I'm like, well, I've got money now. I should probably buy a worker because I don't want to be put in that situation again. And I slap that worker down and realize, oh, wait, they've paid out for that round. I've just spent all my money on a worker that isn't going to pay out. And I just yeah. get to watch you buy a load of buildings and buy a load of aristocrats and buy a load of other stuff and go like, oh no. <laughs> but I'm not even like that far ahead of you in income in that game. Like this is slightly weird because we played one game and then we realized we didn't have enough time to have a rematch straight away. I've played it a couple of other times as well with uh, with other people. But then this rematch, we were like, oh wait, we don't have time for this. Let's do this asynchronously, which means that we're in the middle of this game right now. So we're literally like, this is like a halftime report on a game where Tom <laughs> thinks he's being demolished and I am full of dread about how many points he's going to be getting unless I can figure out some way around it and I've clogged up my hands oh my god you have such tiny hands so you're allowed to at any point you're allowed to take pick up a card to reserve it for later a la Splendor or something similar and you can pay for that at any time but you've only allowed there's only three slots in your hand you've only allowed three cards so it's the tightest of restrictions on whether you can get mm. through it and actually splendor's probably quite a decent comparison on this like if you took splendor and made it be instead of being like big victory points big chunky jewels and instead made it lots and lots of money and this steady <laughs> drip feed of victory points, you kind of almost got a reasonable comparison there. I think that lots and lots of money is especially 
true at two players because at the end of the game and that's kind of i think tempered how i felt about st petersburg as a game was what happened towards the end of our last game where it came to a point at the end where we were both inevitably just gonna get lots and lots of points it was just who got lots and lots of points first (laughs) which sounds really reductive and silly but right at the end of the last game like we were getting so much money that we could effectively buy everything in the display and there's another system that we haven't talked about where the aristocrats that you can buy you get extra points if you have a certain number of them if you've got 10 different aristocrats at the end of the game then you'll get a a heap of points and at the end of our two-player game there was just no way that i could stop ava from getting those 10 aristocrats and getting the huge point bonus at the end just because we both had such a ferocious amount of money by the end that it did not matter (laughs) yeah except i did lose that game tom don't forget what happened at the end of that (laughs) game was i got obsessed with turning all of my phil collinses into other (laughs) aristocrats that's how in the original edition it looks like phil collins i swear it's phil collins um, I got obsessed with doing it and I knew that it wasn't actually getting me more. I already had 10 different aristocrats, which is the maximum points you can get from that. And I forgot to check that Rubles was the tiebreaker. And that meant mm. that I lost that in the closest way possible, which I, I think that was, it's so interesting that that game was so tight because it felt like, I feel like uh, the current game I'm playing, I feel like both of us feel like we're losing really badly. Whereas last right. game, I feel like both of us thought we were winning. <laughs> um, and it came <laughs> yeah. out as a dead heat with money being the decider and the fact that I wasted a load of money removing my like multiple duplicate Phil Collinses and replacing them with SARS, I think. I don't know. Anyway, it's a weird yeah. game. It's very strange. Should we talk about the uh, elephant in the room? Is it the second edition? No, I mean, it's not even just that. It's just like this game, this game. Right, so first edition of St. Peter's Gateberg. <laughs> it is unattractive. <laughs> it is It is not beautiful. All of these pictures have people with remarkably dour, sullen, slightly orangey faces <laughs> staring out of you. But it has a lot of charm as well. It, it does. a lot of charm. It looks a bit like, it looks a bit bodged together and these people genuinely do look like bad paintings of celebrities from the 80s yes or they look a lot like um restorations that have gone very wrong (laughs) oh that's exactly the vibe isn't it it's that i can't remember what's the original painting of is it a patriot painting of jesus that accidentally gets smeared into an omelette um (laughs) they they look a little bit like that but it's charming, it's characterful, and it, it like it's a fusty game that looks fusty. And I, I would go as to far as as far as to say that the buildings in this game, the building cards look really nice. It's yeah. just the people have a certain, you know, I don't quite know how to describe itism to them. <laughs> <laughs> melted medieval folk. Yes, that sounds that's perfect. That's perfect. Melted. However, I think I can't remember what year it originally came out in, but in 2017 it got a second edition that rebalanced some of the cards, which is apparently really useful, added a couple of optional expansions, which currently aren't available on Board Game Arena. And in fact, I believe I just saw today that the second edition has been pulled from Board Game Arena for reasons unknown. However, (laughs) we had a brief look at this second edition version, and it is... Haunted. Oh, it's... (laughs) It's like... everything's been glossed up so everything looks like more time more effort more energy has been put into it 
However, something about the graphic design and the faintly uncanniness of a load of people. I think a lot of the people are based on board game designers. Real people. And real people. So they've got a kind of like uncanny, hyper real quality to them. And everything else is just like, and partly like we did look at some, we've only seen photos of this. We've not had a copy of this game in front of us. Maybe it's not quite so bad in person, but the graphic design of it just doesn't sit right. It looks no. Oh, it, and and it it's terrible on Board Game Arena. It was really bad on Board Game <laughs> Arena, Arena. So I can see why they pulled it from there, even if it was just for aesthetic reasons. But it's just got this flattened Encarta menu screen look to it. That's a good way of putting it. It looks it looks very like you're so right about the graphic design like the art is one thing again the buildings do better than the people (laughs) uh in this version but it is still very uncanny valley in a lot of ways and i think that the thing that we the whole theme of this episode is that we sort of would like want some of these games to come back in some sort of way in nice uh fancy editions i think st petersburg is the only one where i feel slightly strange about stamping that on it like i like it i think it's a strange odd little game but i've no idea who i'd put this in front of Mm. and when i would put it in front of people on a table i think it's great as a board game arena game i've no idea how it would carry in the physical world with hands and faces and everything yeah i think it's probably got a little bit of board game arena syndrome where like yes in uh, here where a where the computer is doing all of the adding up for you and the income is being calculated manually and you don't have to faff around with actual money or coins or or pieces and everything is just happening digitally. This is a like smooth, quick, pacey, fun little thing. It's weird. It's not brilliant. It's not world ending, but it's <laughs> it's solid. But I do have a sneaking suspicion that the amount of cards you're going to be getting, the amount of counting mm. you're going to be having to do every turn. And this isn't like this isn't like Russian railroads or City of the Big Shoulders where like there's a huge amount of maths, but it's going to slow this down. It's just going to be enough grit in the engine to perhaps not uh, not quite land as well as I feel about it at the moment. But I don't know. Maybe they can find a way to make that a bit more straightforward. I mean, they can't. The core of the game is that you're doing this maths every at the end of every phase. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Shall we talk about a game that we would like to see very much put in a different box with nice colours? Yeah, I think we're a lot more confident on this one, aren't we? Would you like to tell the people and me about the palaces of Carrara. Carrara is a place in Italy. It has, presumably, a lot of buildings in it. And this is a game where you build those buildings out of little coloured blocks and the cities are all a little bit racist, but only about blocks. I don't know. It's a weird game (laughs) that it's hard to describe. This is a what I would call a Kramer and Kiesling classic. This is a designer duo that you uh, will remember from such classics as Mexica. And Tom, give me another one. Tikal. Tikal. And recently Paris, Renature, 
other games. Yeah, Renature's one of theirs, and you love that. Oh, you love that. I love Renature. Um, but they're a, they're a, they're they're a they're a hit factory. They're like the KLF <laughs> of board games. They are <laughs> they are not the KLF of board games. They're definitely not the KLF no, of board I just... games. I want to watch Kramer and Kiesling burn a million Monopoly money. <laughs> Oh, please do that. We managed to get Rainer Knizia to put a sticker on his forehead. Do you reckon we can get Graham and Kisling <laughs> to burn burn some Monopoly? Um, anyway, <laughs> I, 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 I rate them really highly as designers. If I see their names on something, I'm like, huh, I'm going to think about that because they are, they are good at games that distill something a bit simpler into, into a, a more complicated machine. So your brain ends up doing a lot more work than you're expecting to. Right, so anyway, back to Palaces Carrara. In Palaces of Carrara, you can do three things on your turn. You can buy blocks, you can build buildings, and you can score stuff. Each of those things has some really lovely little wrinkles in it. So buying is done from a little wheel that lets you that is full of blocks of different colours or each and divided into little pie slices. Uh, initially everything will be on the first pie slice, but every turn every time you buy blocks, you will rotate this thing just a little bit. Um, which makes everything on that block move into a different segment, which means that it becomes a little bit cheaper. Then you get to choose one of these pie slices and you can buy as many blocks as you want from there. But what you're doing is you're kind of, you're making stuff cheaper for you, but you're also making everything else on that wheel cheaper for everyone else. So there's a load of weird decisions in working out like what something is actually worth what something is worth to you, what something might be worth to other people. Loads of little decisions just in quite a simple mm. mechanic of like rotate the thing, buy, put some more blocks on it. What's going to happen next? Um, and that's really good. I really like that. I think that's really clever. Building buildings is interesting because you've got six different cities that you can build in and each person has their own player board with those six cities on them. And each of those cities, depending on how fancy it is, will only accept certain blocks. <laughs> so <laughs> if you want to build in Larici, uh, it will take any block. It doesn't care. It's just, it's just, it'll just have anything. But Larici in the scoring bit that we'll get to in a little bit will actually score you a lot less and get you, in fact, it will only get you money and it'll get you only a tiny bit of money compared to somewhere like is it Livorno, the fanciest one? Livorno is the top dog. Yeah, yeah, Livorno and Pisa are the two expensive ones. Livorno will only build with the highest grade marble, which means that you have to get the most expensive blocks from the wheel in order to buy stuff from Livorno. Mm. But it's going to get you a shed load of points if you do it. Um, similarly with Pisa, that'll take white or yellow uh, blocks. So it's got a little bit, a little bit broader. But yeah, and so there's this scale between these two things of like, how fancy is the city? How much do you want to get out of that block? Can you get enough of the really fancy blocks? And are you willing to use fancy blocks to let you build in a city lower down the uh, ranking quicker? Because that might also be a really important choice. Like, are you willing to pay a white block to put something in Lurici? Not often, but sometimes that's what you need to do. Okay, that's interesting. Why would you do that? Why is all of that happening? Well, it's because scoring in this game is shockingly ruthless. <laughs> um, you start... <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's the biggest surprise, right? Yeah. Is that how 
confrontational this game is but yeah sorry go on and uh... so but it really is and it really is and it's going to be very hard to get that across in this because this is a slightly weirdly finicky rule that i find quite hard to explain but i'm going to try it you start off the game with six scoring pawns that will allow you to score a category of things now all of the buildings that you're building they come in six different flavors you might be building a palazzo or a biblioteca or a uh, villa or something else fancy italian name for something that you've heard of so you can just pick a category and you can just be like, right, I've got a little space on my board that says all of my uh, palazzos can score if I place this here. So I'm going to place this scoring token there. That's nice. That's simple. What will happen is then all of your buildings of that type will gain you money or points depending on which city you have built them in. Okay? Nice. Simple. That's nice. It also gets you some objects which make no sense in your first game because there's a beginner version of the game which is entirely different to the advanced version of the game and we'll get into that in a minute. Oh god, this is running long already. This is a hard game to describe. It's surprisingly simple, but it's hard to talk about. Um, The other thing you can do, the really, really, really nasty, ruthless thing to do is as well as scoring for types of buildings, you can choose to score a city. Once it's got enough buildings in it, once you've got enough buildings in it, you can put one of your scoring pawns onto the board where there is a single slot that you can put that thing into to make that city score. This means that each of these cities is actually in a race because only one person gets to score each of the cities. It's so brutal. You can guarantee that you're going to score all of your buildings, but you can't be sure that you're going to get that city scored unless you quickly get in there before anyone else does. And this makes every turn feel like a race, feel like a tense thing, feel like you've got to keep an eye on everybody's boards to make sure that you're going to get in there and score that thing before they do. But also, if you can see that they haven't got enough buildings to do it, you could keep putting buildings in there. Are you going to push your luck and just be like, well, actually, it's going to take you two turns before you're even going to be able to score it. So I can get a little bit more brick and then a little bit more building and then get even more points from, oh, and loads of points from, you get loads of money if you build something in Pisa. It's got to be worth it, right? Oh, it's, oh, it's, (laughs) it's a fruity little decision. It really is. Like, like, watching other people and seeing that you know there's two you have to have built two buildings in Livorno the most expensive city you have to have built two to score it minimum and watching everyone on one building and waiting for someone to make that move into two is so fruity um if you're going for that because I found lots of success in our last game that we played of just going for wherever no one else wanted to go. I put all my stuff into Larici, which is the rubbish town that no one wants to go to and doesn't get you anything. But we should probably talk about the advanced game straight yeah. away because I think that's where it gets even fruitier. And in the advanced game, you have these conditions that will cause you to end the game, a set of conditions that will cause it's you to end. It's not actually even cause as well. Like One of the really interesting things I think here is that it's like there's a set of criteria that you have to fulfill before you are allowed to say that you want to end the game and the game is going Mm. to end at the end of this round. And because some of your stuff is kept secret, you can never know whether someone's fulfilled those conditions with certainty. Like you can see that they probably have, but you can't know. (laughs) And that's, that. there's so many nice clever touches in this game. I really want to see it get another. Yeah, so there's there's conditions that that you may end the game on, but there's also these little upgrades that you can get um for each of the cities so you can basically 
change you know we're spending blocks to build these buildings it costs us five blocks to build a building there are these eight buildings that you can upgrade from an existing building you pay the difference between them to get a big chunky building in your city and whenever you build one of those eight buildings you also get to upgrade one of the cities permanently for you which meant in our last game i just made Larici a little bit better and then i went really hard on building Larici, and then knowing what exactly what those game end conditions were i decided that my strategy would be as I was watching uh, Ava and Pip spin up their engines, I was thinking, how about I just try and end the game as soon as I possibly can uh, <laughs> by fulfilling them as quickly as possible? And it happened surprisingly quickly. Like The game is very willing to let you do that sort of thing if you want to. Um, and I did lose uh, for my sins. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but if you had if you had landed that like a turn or two earlier like i got a lot yes. of points in the last couple of turns of of that game so i did end up winning but again it's that thing we were talking about in st petersburg like a really big decision in this the instinctive thing to do well actually having watched a lot of people do really badly at this game the instinctive thing to do is to build in the places that get you points straight away and assume you're getting mm. points and then about halfway through the game realize you have no money and you are going to have a <laughs> miserable time that's a warning um the instinctive thing for me to do was like right okay money's really sparse you start off with 20 money 25 money and mm. you you spend it quickly because those bricks start off expensive and it's not until people start building that there starts being a bit more time for stuff to kind of get up to the higher levels and get cheaper so what you want to do is buy a lot of buildings in those things that get you money Get them into those things that get you money. I've Every game I've tried, I've focused on getting a lot of stuff into Pisa, which scores three money per building value that goes into it, which is amazing. Like, that's a huge amount of money. So I put a load of things into Pisa, maybe into a couple of other places that get you money so that I can get a big dollop of money and then start working on my engine to, to finish the game, work on getting the points and getting the, the blocks that will get me to the end of the game. And that's great. But it's that decision again. It's that decision of when do you switch from making money to making points. And if you've got someone there who's just been like, do you know what? I'm just going to get points and I'm going to end this game as quickly as possible. And if you don't <laughs> see that coming, you could be in big trouble. I think you could have won that game if, if you'd been a little bit faster or I'd close. been a little bit slower. And I was making... Yeah, I, w I was rushing a little bit because I knew that... I, I, I don't know. I thought the game was going to be a lot longer than that yeah um i said I, I remember saying and that's the end of the game and you went what yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no way it's great it's really good isn't it yeah. like and i would love to see it in a the, the art in this is not bad by any means but it's definitely kind of fusty and old and it looks like a game that if you got out people would be like mm -mm, cool yeah but that <laughs> little wheel sneaky. in the corner that you rotate if you make that look oh, really nice and sexy then oh god i just talked about a wheel in a board a rondel in a board game being sexy oh yeah Ooh, you've got to that I've point i've been locked indoors for too long <laughs> um but yeah there's ways to make that really really pretty and i think that this is the sort of thing that i i think i hope that it will get a reprint because i think it deserves it because i think this is a charming and ruthless game and that's kind of my favorite genre like we talk a lot about me being queen fiddle and i me wanting to have like fiddly complicated games but actually what i want is charming and ruthless at the same time you and i both love a box that you look at and you go yeah i know the score with this and then turn one you go oh no <laughs> 
Games that make you go, oh no, to be honest, that could be my genre. That, that could be what I want. <laughs> games that make you go, oh no. No, that didn't work. Speaking of games that make you go, oh no, that's a good seg, isn't it? <laughs> Should we talk? It's not a good seg at all. Should we talk about El Grande? Wait, both you and Matt say seg. Is it not segway? It is segway. Yeah, okay. But it's, it's funny like to be, oh, it makes it... you sound like uh, Bob Mortimer's train guy character <laughs> when you go like, hey, a cheeky seg. It's just just for those in the know. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good. It's it's so frustrating being surrounded by people whose like primary source of enjoyment is getting things wrong intentionally <laughs> or unintentionally, and then playing it off as intentional. But we're not going to talk about really. that. We're not allowed to talk. We're not going to talk that. about that. Not allowed. It's a little mystery. A little mystery Easter egg for the listeners at home who recently <laughs> made a massive mistake. <laughs> and they're pretending it's on purpose when it clearly wasn't. Shall we talk about the last game, which is El Grande that you can play on Yucatan? <laughs> Sorry, I ruined your segue. My segue has been crashed. I went on a silly segue trip to Spain. No. Let's go to Spain. <laughs> Let's go to Spain. We've gone to Italy. We've gone to Russia. Let's go to Spain. Oh, yeah, we have. It's a globetrotting podcast. We have. We've done a little trip. We've actually done a, a trip from one end of Europe to another. Completely unintentionable. That's a nice segue. So El Grande is another game that we think deserves a cool reprint. And you can play online now. You can play it on Yucatar. I actually played it on Tabletop Simulator uh, for my sins. Uh, it was quite the strange experience as you probably heard on the last podcast where i talked about it being part of my ideal board game night but we think that el grande deserves a little bit more coverage because one of those games that has only had a written review on the site and a how to play video but it's never been truly sort of like covered in video and one of the reasons for that is that it's really really hard to find a good copy of it's really frustrating like we'll get into this in a bit more detail but it has been a long time since like every five to ten years you get a new edition of el grande and it sells out in a couple of months and <laughs> it shouldn't happen it's like a comet yeah yeah um, Haley's el grande yeah so el grande is a game that has you uh vying for control of spain by putting Little cubes representing sad men or caballeros, depending on who you've been listening to. And you're <laughs> scattering them around Spain with like one huge limitation on what you can do. And that huge limitation takes the form of a enormous little wooden person who is the king of Spain um, that sits in a place. Now, there's two rules about the king of Spain. The first rule is wherever he is, you cannot touch. Like when the king is looking... <laughs> You look busy, you don't fiddle around with anything. So you can't ever do anything with the king's region apart from make it score. Do not touch the king's region. Oh dear. Um, the other rule about the king is that all of the power of Spain kind of like vacuums up around him and gets sucked into him in a way that means that if you want to do anything, you have to do it in the areas next to the king. The areas all surrounding the king, those are the ones that you are allowed to put humans into put your cubes into <laughs> which gives you control of those areas now every three turns um all of the areas of spain will score but also the extra bonus area that you can always put people into which is a little tiny castle called the castillo which you chuck people into it they're secretly hidden in there you're not allowed to look in there you're only allowed to put stuff in there um and at the, at the beginning of scoring you open it up 
people get points for who's put the most things in the Castillo and the second most and the third most, depending on how many players you're playing with. Um, and then, in fact, even before that, you secretly decide where the people who are hiding in the Castillo are going to invade. Now, again, they can't go where the king is, but they can go anywhere. They aren't restricted to just places that are next to the king, which means that there's this weird little invisible secret bit of negotiation where mm. people try and guess where other people are going to be going and second guess and send to different places. It is a remarkably simple game in many ways. Like you, there's, there's a very weird like auction for turn order um, that also dictates how, uh, how many people you're going to be able to move oh, that turn. I love that auction for turn order. It is so strange, but I think it's so I think the thing that El Grande does really well is it has just enough grit in the engine that stops it from being an incredibly dry game of putting cubes on a board and, and working out points and doing doing and numbers. That, the Castillo, opening that up and those people all scurrying off is one thing. And that strange little auction at the start where you have to work out the value of each of those cards, which is kind of incalculably in flux for everyone around the table. It's so unknowable and juicy and interesting in a game that is otherwise just putting a big cube and small cube around a board <laughs> yeah it's so it's so straightforward and it does things that i think are like sharper and cleverer than almost every other so this genre of game is called area control and i have this thing mm. where whenever i play an area control game pretty much every time i sit back and go huh that was good I want to play El Grande now. <laughs> like it's it's one of those rare things that I think it's such a good example of the genre in the way that it makes you like it just does all of the things that you could do within that space in like the minimum number of rules and with mm. everything being sharp and with some really like intriguing ways of doing it. Because yeah, so the turn order is dictating what order you get to pick these power cards in. These power cards uh randomized each turn apart from the one that lets you move the king which is the most important one and it's kind of always the best one almost always the best one except in weird circumstances because all of the other ones they're letting you shift people around the board they're letting you veto other people's actions you can just have a cut hold onto a card for a round that lets you stop someone from doing a special something and oh and all of these things are and all of these things are balanced out by the fact that, like, the, the stronger the card, with the exception of the king card, the less people it lets you actually put onto the board. So you're constantly balancing, like, do I want to go, do I want to get that powerful thing, even though it only lets me put one person? Or, I mean, obviously, I want to go first so I can grab the king and move the king, and then I've locked a region so no one else can fiddle with it, and then I dump a load of people. Or oh, I could dump a load of people then move the king and then nobody else can dump people there or oh, and there's just this cascade of like simple funny decisions that have you wrestling with this color covered i mean the map itself is beige is the beigeest beige but the pieces that you're putting on it are all of these bright colors and they are fighting with each other constantly and it is it is evocative and it is sharp and pointy and it is the sassiest is the game where i get the sassiest where i like whinge the most <laughs> about people doing things sure. or like are most likely to like lose the game by getting into a massive amount of beef with someone about like the fact that they've come into my hometown of galicia um, and <laughs> 
taking it. Like, look, it's rubbish for you. It only gets you like five points. I've got a grande there. It gets me seven points. Stop it. Please stop it. Just, yeah. I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's heaving with banter, but that's a horrible thing to say. Wow. Heaving with banter. That is distressing. I think like the thing that we both feel about El Grande is that it is an absolutely fantastic game. Even though it's a bit beige, it's got those beautiful colours peppered over the top of it, and each decision is electric and exciting and it's fantastic. But the fact that it is so hard to get hold of makes it really hard to like actively recommend because you can only play these imperfect representations of it. And I wish that it got a reprint on the same level as uh, as Hands of Teutonica or something similar, other games that are kind of hard to get hold of. It's not even that. Like, it's the, the thing that gets me with El Grande, and I've been complaining about this, like, honestly, I think this is the thing that I have said in the most comments on Shut Up and Sit Down over the last decade. <laughs> like, the two things <laughs> I've said the most is I hate the rules for ports in Game of Thrones, and I hate having to teach them. <laughs> and El Grande so much needs to be, like... It's a game, it's an old game. I think it might be 97, but I could be wrong on that and should probably double check. It is from 95. It's from 95, it's even older than I it's thought. It's three years older it's than older me. than Tom, right? This game is <laughs> older than Tom. And what it is, is it is one of the absolute classics of the era. Like, And the thing is, the other classics of the era are probably Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne. Mm. And those, mm. uh, and maybe even, I think a little bit later, but Ticket to Write, and those three games are permanently in print and available absolutely everywhere. And one of the things that people will routinely say, oh yeah, that should probably be your first step. Like that's the, that's a classic game. Now I'm not saying that those are all the best games. I have mixed feelings about all of those games. Um, although they are relatively solid recommends in most categories. But like El Grande should be up there with them. Like, it should be a yeah. game that is in every game store and always in print. Like, but it keeps on doing this thing of getting anniversary editions and decennial editions. I think I've got the decennial edition, which was like its 10th birthday. And it was so, yeah. I was so lucky to find that, that even though the interior of the box was entirely ripped up, despite the fact that I was buying it new, um, it was like, I, I felt so blessed to be able to have a copy of it. And because it is, it is excellent. It do, There's a load of expansions in each of these boxes. I can't be bothered to play them because the game is kind of perfect. And I yeah. find it really upsetting that it doesn't have a zippy new edition in a slightly smaller box, still ideally with the wooden castle because, my God, I love my wooden castle and the, the cardboard <laughs> alternatives that I've seen don't look as good. But it should be in print as much as those games are. And the fact that it isn't makes me quite sad instead i'm being advertised i've got the board game geek page open now and it said i'm being advertised uh, a copy of el grande for 191 dollars <sighs> uh which is like come on i want it for i want it for five pounds i want it print and play <laughs> no i'm joking but uh, it, it's i would file it under i think that quinn's hands tonica review we've had a lot of hands of tonica recently yeah. uh in the lead up to quinn's review of that game and i think that El Grande for me is in that same position of being a game that I'm like, I was playing and I was thinking like, why did I not play this sooner? Yeah. Um, like, I wish that this was a game that I could, like, I wish I could crack out El Grande, maybe even like instead of something like Game of Thrones to that first board game group I had, because I'd imagine that the speed, the relative speed of it, the easier rules, the quicker rules, 
the teach and the actual game itself means that it would be something that would probably get way more plays and would probably be the, that cornerstone and would keep people uh, as interested in board games as Game of Thrones did, but quicker and maybe have a broader reach. I fumbled that, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, and the thing is that to me, I'm angry about the fact that it wasn't there for you. <laughs> it wasn't there for me in my time of need. When there was only one pair of prints, that was El Grande carrying me. <laughs> um, but no, like it, it has a lot of the, the problems that the games of that era have in that it's a bit beige. It's a slightly bland fit theme. It's uh, the expansions in the extra edition add a load of like colonialism for no real necessary reason. Cracking. We love to see it. You know, it's 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 mild, but it's there. Like, and it's like, why do you yeah. have to have that stuff in it? So it's a shame because I feel like these games they weren't a golden age, but like there was a point where these this could have risen to being like one of the all-time greats and i think it mm. is in many ways still there is a lot of games in the same genre that i think do not hold a candle to it um and mm. i still even with like really fresh new designs like uh, i mean this isn't that new but the expanse board game loads of people told me it was really solid i really quite liked it i thought it was very good but i at the end of it i was just like i could teach you at El grande in half the time and it would be as good or better <laughs> Um, you sound like great fun. I'm sorry I don't actually say that to people I say it in my head and I'm like thanks for teaching me that I really appreciate it have you heard about Spain I think you might like it thank you everyone for joining us wait what do you do in an outro <laughs> thank you everyone for listening to us ramble about games you cannot buy but can play and we figured that was a decent compromise and if you're a publisher listening to this reprint these like get the rights to these because they're great and they deserve deserve it you know what else deserves some praise tom brewster oh that's very nice thanks yeah, thanks for being here thanks for teaching me how to podcast edit and thanks for pretty much everything wow uh, next week <laughs> thank you for being here this is the thanks cast. We can just be as self-congratulatory as we want because Matt and Quinn's aren't here to stamp us down all the time like they so often do. And if you want to see them stamp something down next week, I think you're actually going to be out of luck because I've got a feeling that they quite like Cloud Age, which they're going to be talking about in our podcast next week. I think there was some, we played a bit of it and we like it, but I don't know how much. I'm going to be intrigued to listen to Matt and Quinn's talk about that game next week thank you everyone for listening have a wonderful weekend and we'll see you next week on the shut up and sit down podcast bye